0: Jesus Christ use apologetics? And what exactly is apologetics anyway? Today, Pat Zucharin answers that question. Welcome to Evidence and Answers with Dr. Pat Zucharin. And it's based on Pat's new book, The Apologetics of Jesus, co-authored by Dr. Norman Geisler. On today's show, you'll gain some valuable insight on Jesus' methodology when he presented and defended his claims. In fact, I bet you'll see some things you may have never noticed. Jesus used philosophy, logic, reason, history, and many other methods when he communicated. By the way, I suggest you get a copy of The Apologetics of Jesus at our website, evidenceandanswers.org. You'll help support Evidence and Answers as we take the greatest message of all time to the nations. That's evidenceandanswers.org. While you're at the website, browse the terrific resources we have available. You can download past shows, read Dr. Zuckerman's articles, and find information on everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism at evidenceandanswers.org. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Pat, congratulations on your new book, co-written with Norman Geisler, The Apologetics of Jesus. And this is part two of our interview with you on this new book from Baker. And uh, you can get part one, if you didn't get a chance to hear it, go to evidenceandanswers.org. You can get parts one and two at evidenceandanswers.org. Dot org. In fact, while you're going to evidenceandanswers.org, get a copy and get a good discount of the Apologetics of Jesus. And Pat, it's about time you uh, somebody wrote a book on this. I'm glad it was you and Norm Geisler because it's such a good topic and uh, it's not been written on as far as you know a complete book. John Ankerberg of the John Ankerberg Show says the Apologetics of Jesus explores the perfect model of Christ's life to provide powerful examples of how to apply practical apologetics in today's postmodern culture. thoroughly biblical and extremely practical it offers fresh discoveries and helpful information for anyone who desires to share the truth of Jesus in everyday life what a great endorsement
1: you know Kevin uh, it was a great privilege to write this book on a topic that had never been written on for 2,000 years it's quite remarkable that no one has written on this and to write it with one of the great apologists of our time dr. Norman Geisler so Tremendous privilege. I hope it's a tremendous blessing to the body of Christ. It certainly was to me as I studied this topic and to the many who are involved in reading uh, my dissertation and going through the whole process with me.
0: Pat, as we continue to look at the apologetics of Jesus, last time we studied his use of witnesses, miracles, and the resurrection. Let's explore that further. What are some more apologetic methods that he used?
1: Hmm. Another apologetic that Jesus uses the apologetic of his prophetic legacy you now even to this day when we point to the authority of scripture and the deity and uniqueness of Christ we point to the legacy of prophecy and Deuteronomy 18 teaches the valuable test of a true prophet that a prophet predicts things of future events and they come to pass and he is correct 100% of the time And that's what you would expect from the divine son of God. If God is omniscient and he knows all and he is eternal, he is beyond time, that he would be able to predict the future things that would come to pass. In fact, God says that in Isaiah chapter 46, verse 9 and 10. He says, remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God and there is no other. I am God. There is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times and what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. And so God being omniscient, knowing all is able to predict future events and they come to pass 100% of the time. And Jesus was aware that during his ministry, he was indeed fulfilling prophecy that was predicted of him. Jesus said, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, I' have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So Jesus knew throughout his ministry that his life was fulfilling prophecy. In fact, in Matthew chapter 26, when Jesus is being arrested, he looks at those who are arresting him and he says why are you coming in the dark of night every day I sat in the temple courts teaching you and you did not arrest me but then in verse 56 he says this but this has all taken place that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled so Christ knew that he was indeed fulfilling prophecy through his life and ministry and remember there were prophecies that he fulfilled that were beyond any human control The place of his birth, you know, Micah chapter 5 verse 2 said he would be born in Bethlehem. The manner of his birth, you know, born of a virgin, Isaiah chapter 7. And there were other prophecies that were beyond uh, human control. And Jesus fulfills over 100 prophecies made of him centuries before he sets foot upon the earth. And Jesus himself makes prophecies of the future which come to pass. Uh, for example, Matthew chapter 24, he predicts the destruction of the Jerusalem temple, which comes to pass. Matthew five eighteen, that his words will abide forever, and indeed they have, and they will. Uh, he predicts his resurrection in Matthew chapter 12. Uh, John chapter 21, verse 18, that the apostle John would live to an old age. And church history teaches us that. John the Apostle was the only one of the twelve who was not martyred, who died at an old age. And so the prophetic legacy, the use of prophecy, was a powerful apologetic argument that Christ used to defend his claim to be the divine Son of God. Really a double-barrel
0: shotgun here, double whammy, in that Jesus fulfilled prophecy and he made prophecy or made prophetic predictions. What are some practical implications we can draw from Jesus' methodology here?
1: Well, as Jesus used prophecy as part of his apologetic and his defense, so we as believers should also be using the prophetic legacy of the Bible, not only the uh, Old Testament, but of the New Testament, and the prophecies of Christ to defend christianity and that jesus christ is the unique and divine son of god also the legacy of prophecy it's another thing that makes christ unique from any other person there's no other person who has so many prophecies made of them before they set foot upon the earth and they fulfill each one Muhammad, the alleged prophet of Islam, has no prophecies written of him before he sets foot upon the earth. They they try with the prophecies of the Holy Spirit in John 14, but the context is very clear. That's the coming of the Holy Spirit, not of Muhammad. But Confucius, Buddha, you know, other Hindu holy men, you don't have the legacy of prophecy as Christ has. I mean, there are over 100 prophecies made of Christ, and he fulfills each one. And the fact that he also made prophecies, and they have been fulfilled is another powerful apologetic to use as we witness for Jesus Christ. This is one that has not been answered when I present to atheists and skeptics. And so we need to understand the Powerful testimony of the prophetic legacy of Christ and be able to use that in witnessing for Jesus Christ as he used it in defense of his own claims. We're talking about
0: the book, The Apologetics of Jesus, that Pat himself wrote with Norman Geisler. It's from Baker Books. Get it at evidenceandanswers.org, evidenceandanswers.org. Pat, many scholars have pointed out that Jesus was a philosopher. In what ways was he a philosopher? And uh, maybe you can give us some examples uh, that you've Talk about in your book.
1: Yes, you know, Jesus was not only a great teacher, he was also a great philosopher. A lot of people overlook that, but Jesus used reason and logic in his teaching and in his defense. You know, Jesus understood that we are created in the image of God and God is a reasonable, rational, and morally perfect being. And being created in the image of God, we reflect those character qualities in our lives as well. And we use reason and evidence to make decisions all the time. Uh, we don't believe in things that are irrational or void of any kind of evidence. I mean, if you're looking at two elevators, one, the lights are flickering, there's a funny noise coming out of it, and no one's coming in and out. And a second one standing there, the lights are on, there's music playing and you've seen people coming in and out of it. Well, which elevator are you going to choose? You know, or you're sitting there at the airport and you look at the plane and there's smoke coming out of the engine. I mean, what are you going to do? So we look and use reason and we look at evidence and that's how we make our decisions in life. And God understood that. He created us that way. Jesus understood that. And so he uses reason and logic and evidence in his presentation. Isaiah chapter one, verse 18, God says, come, let us reason together. And so the use of reason and logic was instrumental in Jesus as he presented his case to be the divine Son of God. In fact, let me read a quote from Dallas Willard on page 66 of our book dallas
0: willard is a very prominent philosopher
1: yes a chairman of philosophy at the university of southern california and he states this we need to understand that jesus is a thinker that this is not a dirty word but an essential work and that his other attributes do not preclude thought but only ensure that he is certainly the greatest thinker of the human race the most intelligent person who ever lived on earth he constantly uses the power of logical insight To enable people to come to the truth about themselves and about God from the inside of their own heart and mind. Quite certainly, it also played a role in his own growth in wisdom. And so using reason and logic was essential to Christ as he presented a defense of his claims. Jesus used various logical and reason arguments to expose error and persuade individuals of the truth.
0: How about a few examples here?
1: Well, okay, Uh, here's some examples of the logical arguments that Jesus used. First, the law of non-contradiction. And the law of non-contradiction is a very simple law that we use all the time. And that simply states that, opposites cannot be true at the same time in the same way you know for example it is impossible to say that god exists and he does not exist and both statements be true at the same time in the same way and jesus applied the law of non-contradiction in his messages and in his defense for example in matthew chapter 12. When people were questioning him, as his disciples were going through the grain fields, they began to pick heads of grain and eat them. And the Pharisees saw this and said, look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. And Jesus said this, haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple desecrate the day? and yet are innocent. I tell you that one greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. So here Jesus is showing them there's a contradiction in your practice, yet you are condemning uh, the disciples who are eating heads of grain here on the Sabbath. And he points to a contradiction in their practice. Uh, also, Matthew chapter 7, regarding true and false prophets here, shows he applies the law of non-contradiction. So there's one of the examples that Christ used. Uh, another one is called the argument of reductio ad absurdum. In other words, reducing arguments to their absurd conclusion. I mean, if the premise is true, and you follow it to its logical end, you come to an absurd conclusion. And we find that in Matthew chapter 12, verse 22, where Jesus does miracles. And in Matthew chapter 12, the the leaders of Israel say, well, he does these miracles by the power of the devil, by Beelzebub." The prince of demons—that is how he drives out demons. And Jesus says, "Okay, let's take that premise to be true. Let's see where it leads." And he ends up saying, "Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand." If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your people drive them out? So then they will be your judges. And so Jesus is showing here. He yeah. Yeah, if I do this by the power of the devil, the, the devil is casting out his servants and himself. This is an absurd conclusion here.
0: So he showed them the absurdity of their argument by reducing it down to
1: what it actually means. And what is that called? Redu- Reductio ab, ad absurdum. Okay. Reducing yeah. an argument to its, its absurd conclusion. If the premise is true, you follow it to its logical end and... You realize it's false because it leads to an absurd conclusion.
0: This certainly gives us new insight into Jesus' methodology. Uh, This is awesome.
1: Right. You know, a lot of people say, well, you can't reason people into the kingdom of God. Well, you have to. You know, we make reasoned decisions every day based on the evidence. And also, those who have embraced false ideas... Reductio ad absurdum is a great way to to point out to them in a way that they realize it also themselves. No kind of self-realization, the absurdity of that argument. And that's what Christ does here.
0: We're talking about the book, The Apologetics of Jesus. Pat's new book that he co-wrote with Norman Geisler. It's from Baker Books. Get it at evidenceandanswers.org. There's another big word here. It's a fortiori. Jesus uses a fortiori arguments what does that mean Pat?
1: yes uh that's another uh, logical argument from the lesser to the greater so if i can show that this lesser premise is true how much more this premise that has much more evidence for it
0: oh in other words if you believe this well then you really ought to believe this
1: right exactly okay. for example you know john chapter 10 here jesus calls himself the divine son of god and the pharisees Question him and Jesus responds in verse 24 the Jews gathered around him saying how long will you keep us in suspense if you are Christ tell us plainly and Jesus answered I did tell you but you did not believe the miracles I do in my father's name speak for me but you do not believe because you are not my sheep my sheep listen to my voice I know them and they follow me I give them eternal life. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one can snatch them out of my hand. I and my Father are one. Again, the Jews picked up stones to stone him, and Jesus said, I have shown you many great miracles from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? And they said, We're not stoning you for any of these, replied the Jews, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. And here Jesus presents the Ah a fortiori argument. He says this, is written in your law, I said you are God's. He's quoting Psalm 82 here. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be broken, what about the one whom the Father set apart as his very own and sent into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy, because I said I am God's son? Do not believe me unless I do what the Father does. But if I do it, even though you do not believe me, believe the miracles, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me, and I in the Father. What's Jesus arguing here? He said, well, remember, in your law, Psalm 82 And if you look at that passage, it's talking about judges. So it's not talking about a plurality of gods, as Mormonism would teach. These men were called gods because they came with the authority of God as judges in executing God's judgment over the people as vice regents or judges executing God's law. And God says if they come with that kind of authority and they are given that title uh, in the Old Testament, They're given that title in Deuteronomy. How much more should I be able to call myself the divine son of God when I have this powerful testimony of miracles here? Yeah,
0: because they admitted that he did good works. Mm -hmm. And yet Psalm 82 says that these judges, even though they were called gods, they will die like mere men. And uh, God is rebuking them. Mm -hmm. And so he said, look, You've already admitted, right there in that very chapter, you admitted that I I do these works. So, if you can believe Psalm 82, and these men were ultimately unjust, these judges, how much more should you believe me?
1: Did I get that right? Right, exactly. And he says... When I claim divinity. Right, and the testimony of my miracles. Yeah. is even a more powerful testimony. So, how much more should you believe my words?
0: Pat, these are really starting to kind of pop up in my head. Jesus said, if you fathers being evil know how to give good gifts how much more would your father in heaven who is perfect give you good gifts so if you believe this you should really believe this right I mean,
1: there's another good example you give of a a fortiori argument an argument from the greater uh, lesser to the greater
0: and it also shows that he knew his audience because In John 10, he knew that they believed the Psalms, you know, were were the Word of God, and that they believed Deuteronomy. So, he took what they believed, what he knew they believed, and what he believed as well, and then demonstrated his point. Wow. That, you should have written this book a long time ago. (laughs) The Apologetics of Jesus is from Baker Books, and it's going to be everywhere. Uh, You can get it uh, at evidenceandanswers.org as well. Okay, so Jesus was... uh, Well, he was a great philosopher. Uh, What are some practical lessons from this?
1: Well, first of all, you know, understand that logic, reason, and evidence was part of Jesus' message. And if we are to transform lives and impact people for the kingdom of God, we do not do it simply by emotional persuasion only. You know, God does not bypass the mind to speak to the heart. Reason arguments are required in our persuasion and defense and exposing of false ideas. But where does the Holy Spirit come in? Well, the Holy Spirit works with a person's reasoning and rational capacity. So God, working through their reason, using the evidence and apologetics, works through that to work on the will and heart of a person to bring them to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So we want to get to the point where the person in his mind can acknowledge that christianity is true that it's reasonable that it's not some blind irrational leap in the dark now to believe in christianity or to believe in christ that's a matter of the will Mm -hmm. and that's where the holy spirit comes in working through reason a rational capacity and the evidence working on the will to bring a man to a point where he would willingly submit his life to jesus christ You know, Mm -hmm. Kevin, there's a myth that we cannot use reason or evidence to win people to Christ. But if you look at the teaching of Christ and his apologetic, he used it all the time. And we know the testimony of our friends, you know, Lee Strobel, Norm Geisler, Bill Cray, you and I. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've used reason and evidence and led hundreds of people to Jesus Christ. It's essential in our message. And
0: Paul did it too. Acts 17, 17 says, Paul reasoned in the synagogue and he reasoned in the marketplace, and he proved that Jesus was the Christ. And that's all throughout the, the book of Acts. You know? So you're on to something here, Pat. I, I hadn't thought about this, but I noticed in your book as well that you say that Jesus' use of parables is also an apologetic method.
1: Discuss that with us. Yeah, many people don't realize that Jesus' parables were also a powerful apologetic defense of his claim and his ministry. You know, Jesus told parables to illustrate truth, but also used it in an apologetic manner. He often used parables to point out error and defend his claim to be the divine Son of God. In the parables, Jesus used imagery that were reserved for God only, but he applied it to himself. In fact, Dr. Philip Payne records that of the 52 parables, 20 of them depict Jesus using imagery in the Old Testament that referred to God. And applying these images to himself indicated Jesus' self-understanding of who he was, the divine Son of God. You know, here are some examples of the images Jesus used. You know, the sower in Luke 8. Well, the sower is an image used of God in Numbers chapter 24 and in Psalm 80. Uh, The rock, you know, Matthew chapter 7, Jesus applied it to himself and, and his teachings. But the rock is an image used of God in Psalm 19 psalm 28 psalm 42 you know wow. he, here's one that we we all know the shepherd jesus used it of himself in john 10 he calls himself the good shepherd Well, psalm 23 you know who is this shepherd in there the lord is my shepherd that's an imagery used of god uh, the bridegroom it's one that jesus used in matthew chapter 9 well isaiah 54 and jeremiah 3 god used that of himself and so you see the imagery that christ uses in the parables That applied to god uh, that imagery christ used to apply to him presenting uh, a case for his divinity he was Mm. claiming to be the divine son of god through the parables and in the parables it was also a defense of his ministry you know in luke 15 the story of the prodigal son well you gotta look at the context in which it comes up the pharisees were complaining they said this man only hangs out with sinners they were saying if this guy is the messiah he would know better. He would not hang around with the riffraff. He would hang around, you know, with those who are truly seeking him and studying his law. He would be hanging out with the teachers of the law. Why is he hanging out with these sinners? And it's in here Christ presents the error of their thinking and the defense of his ministry, and he tells the story of the prodigal son. Matthew 21, the vineyard owner and the wicked tenants. Here, Christ goes through a history of Israel, and he presents a defense of his ministry and exposes their false ideas and their and the error in their attitude towards him. And so here, you can see how Christ is using the parables in an apologetic manner.
0: Outstanding. You know, and people like a good tale, too. They like a good story. Yeah, that's... A good that's, communication method.
1: Exactly. That's one of the you know, powerful applications we learn from this. Story is a powerful way to communicate truth.
0: We're talking about Pat's new book, The Apologetics of Jesus. Co written by Dr. Norman Geisler is from Baker Books. Pat in conclusion today, what are some practical lessons that we can learn from Jesus' use of, of
1: parables? Well, you know, story is a powerful way to communicate truth. And we see it in c.s lewis the chronicles of narnia or in john bunyan's the pilgrim's progress how story can be a powerful vehicle to present the message of christ and also defend the message of christ i think of the brothers karamazov uh written by dostoevsky powerful defense for absolute truth and so it's through the use of story it can be a powerful presentation Of Christ and defense of Christ in fact you know there was a girl who just loved the Chronicles of Narnia who was a complete atheist you know however my friend eventually explained to her this is really the story of Jesus Christ and eventually she saw it and Hmm. came to Jesus Christ now she would have never read the Bible yeah she despised Christianity but she read the Chronicles of Narnia and in that she was exposed to the truth of jesus christ
0: that is awesome the book is the apologetics of jesus from baker books pat's new book with norman geisler and by the way there are two parts to this interview with pat and you can get them both when you go to evidence don't miss part one evidence and dot pat thank you for writing this book thank you Norm geisler for for pitching in as well and uh, we look forward to a lot of sales of this book and a lot of comment in the future.
1: Yeah, it was a tremendous privilege to write this book with Dr. Norman Geisler, and I hope it's a great blessing to the body of Christ. And I think the best place you can order it is evidenceandanswers.org. Get a little discount, man. Yeah, and get a wonderful discount when you order it from our website.
0: Well, we have run out of time. By the way, if you want to keep a quality apologetics program on the air and on the web, please support Evidence and Answers with your prayers and financial gifts. One of the ways you can do that is by purchasing the many resources we have online, including Pat's new book with Norman Geisler, The Apologetics of Jesus. So check out our website, evidenceandanswers.org, that's evidenceandanswers.org, and you can also invite Pat to speak at your next event, church, campus, or conference on the most crucial issues facing the world today, and how the Christian worldview provides the best answers to the best questions that's evidenceandanswers.org be sure and join us